open up your Bibles to Psalm 51. Last week we started uh, what I called experiencing salvation, or actually experiencing eternal life. And uh, I would encourage you, if you did not hear, or even if you did hear last week, to go listen to it again. Because we talked about, what do I do after, you know, I'm a Christian and I sin? And sometimes what people do after they sin as a Christian is totally counterproductive. Let me say that again. After they sin, it's totally counterproductive. And what many people have been taught to do is actually destructive. Because people have been told, you go to God after you sin and you basically tell him I'm a dirtbag. And just rehash how you're wrong and then you name all the things you did wrong and you just kind of lay it out there. And you know there is no scripture that tells you to do that in the New Testament. But in the New Testament it tells you when you sin you're to confess your sin. And we look that word up in the Greek it means to acknowledge it the same way God does. Well how does God acknowledge your sin or something you commit that's wrong as a believer. Well, he acknowledges it like this. I died for that. I washed, I paid for that, for you to be free from that. And if there is to be no shame and no guilt as a believer, you can't just be heaping shame on yourself by going, I'm a blow it, I always blow it. We're not saying the same thing. He said, I'm working in you to will and to do of my good pleasure. So when I say, I can't overcome this, he said, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It would be better to be strengthened when I face something than to be weakened. Are you with me? So we need to realize there is a place for saying the same thing he says. But we haven't always been taught that. We've been, you know, like one man said, we've been religiously brainwashed instead of New Testament taught. Because there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. How God deals with us. In the Old Testament, we mentioned this briefly last week, that your sins were just covered. They were never removed. In the New Testament, one sacrifice, the Bible said, once for all removed your sin. So the minute you got saved, you got a new nature. See, what a lot of people think is when they got saved, they got their sins forgiven. That happened in the Old Testament. Sins could be forgiven. Remember Jesus, before he ever died and rose again, he forgave people's sins. And the, the religious people said, who can forgive sins but God only? See, but back then, sins were covered, not removed. When you get saved or give your life to the Lord, not only are your sins removed, because if you cover them, you can uncover them. But he doesn't cover them. The word remit means to remove them. And then he doesn't just remove your sins and leave you the same. Because you'd still just be a, a sinner. Now I know a lot of people don't like that because they'll say, I'm a sinner. Maybe you do sin by action once you're saved. But you could say what God says, I'm dead to sin. 
I'm a new creation. I've been made alive. I've been delivered. That would empower you or release eternal life to walk in it. You know, one of the greatest things that happened to me after I got saved, because I was bound by all kinds of stuff, I started telling people. And not only did I tell people I was saved and that I had been delivered, and I really had, and so have you if you've given your life to the Lord. And uh, what happened was I started telling people. And as I told people, obviously it gave them an opportunity to come to know the Lord. But my faith just got stronger and stronger in the work that the Lord had done in me. Testimony has a huge part in the Christian existence. We may not realize that because we live in a politically correct society that tells you don't say anything that doesn't offend. But when they, you know, we read about them or they who were in the New Testament church, when they started getting persecuted, the Bible said they spread everywhere. And as they spread, they spread the fire because they kept testifying. And they were getting persecuted for sharing so they got driven out, but that didn't change what they did. And it just made the church multiply. So we started talking about experiencing eternal life. And the reason why every believer through their life should be experiencing, you could say it like this, heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. Somebody said, yeah, there's a lot of hell going on around us. Yeah. I understand that. And so it's just because there's more than one kingdom here. When the Lord comes back and he deals with the devil, there won't be more than one kingdom. But we live in the earth, but we're not of the earth. We're not of this world. We're of heaven. So Psalm 51, we launched off from here last week, and we're going to pick back up here, and we're going to begin reading in the 12th verse, Psalm 51, verse 12, and we're talking about experiencing eternal life. Experiencing eternal life. What is it that when we're praising God, we, we experience it? What, what is it when we're talking to our friends about the Lord or we're praying and all of a sudden, you know, we start noticing or we've got our mind on the Lord and we start noticing divine peace and power. What is that? That's part of eternal life. That is eternal life. The Bible said this. Jesus came and said, I've come to give eternal life. And he said, eternal life is knowing God intimately. In John 17, he said, this is eternal life, that you might know the Father and me. So... Eternal life is really intimacy with God. And God is light. And God is love. And God is peace. There's peace and joy in His presence. When we know God, and when God lives in us, there is an experience. Are you with me? There is an experience to be had. It will make life uh, very doable. Until he comes. Are you with me? There are some people who are like, we need to build a bomb shelter. We need to get all the 
carrots canned we can or bottled or jarred or, you know, and build these bomb shelters. If you don't have the timing right, you're going to eat all your carrots before it gets tough. I knew you'd appreciate that. But, you know, the gospel works regardless of what's going on around. Jesus, you know, there was a crowd of people and they needed food and they said, we don't have much. And they said, if we let them go now, they're going to faint on the way. Some of you know what that is. You know, you get in line at McDonald's and you're like, I need my food now or I'm going to faint. It's not exactly the same, but these people had been three days without food. So the Lord told his disciples to do something about it. We could still believe when circumstances are bad and see things happen. Are you with me? Psalm 51 verse 12. Experiencing eternal life. Notice verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Notice that phrase and notice what it doesn't say. Notice it says restore to me the joy of salvation. Notice it doesn't say to me or to you restore salvation. Because when a person gets saved... They don't lose new life. It doesn't come and go. There are some people say, don't sin because if you sin, God will leave you. And that's not true. Or they think, you know, man, if, if you die right now and you did that one wrong thing, you'd go to hell if you didn't say, Lord, forgive me. That's foolish. Heaven is not for people who are perfect and hell is not for people who do more bad than good. Heaven is for those who have received eternal life. Hell is for those who do not have eternal life. And so he said here, restore to me the joy of salvation, not salvation. So you could say it like this. We're talking about experiencing eternal life. God wants you to experience, you could say it like this if you've given your life to the Lord, what you already have. And I, you know, don't want to beat an old horse, you know, a dead horse, as they say. I don't know if you're allowed to do those non-politically correct messages, sermon illustrations anymore. Um, but, you know, the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, they had all this oil, because the Beverly Hillbillies is true. It was like, I don't know who they are. But anyway, there's these hillbillies, and, Grant, and you know, one guy goes out to hunt, and he, I guess he misses, hits the ground, and oil comes up. They become millionaires, but that, or billionaires, you know, would be the story today. And uh, they've got all this money, but it was in the ground the whole time. They just did something to tap, and they started partaking, and really they didn't partake completely. But in our life, he didn't say cause salvation to come and then joy. For the believer, he basically said restore. In other words, Lord, I, I want to experience the joy of salvation. And he said, uphold me by your stingy spirit. Because you know how God is, all stingy and everything. No, generous generous. That's why when people give their life to the Lord, 
they're, and they experience their salvation and they walk in salvation, they are the most generous people. They want to give forgiveness. They want to give. They want to share. They want to tell because they become generous. Why? Because they become born of God and they become influenced by God. It actually is against our nature as Christians to not be generous. Amen? It is. Remember the one guy who uh, got a talent and then another guy got a talent and Jesus shared a story, a couple of them, and then another guy got a few talents? And the one guy took his talent, hid it in a napkin, and buried it. And the others started doing stuff with their talent. And the one that the Lord had a problem with was the one who hid his talent and didn't do something with it. It is the most natural thing for a Christian who acknowledges the eternal life they have to start using what they have. Because we're generous. You are generous. I mean, my mentality changed the minute I got saved. I, I remember saying, you know, I remember the first time I saw my car after I got saved. I said, that's yours too, Lord. I did. Everything I had, I said, it's all yours. My time is yours. That's yours. If you want me to do something with that, you know, I'm going to be driving it for now. But, you know, whatever, it's yours. And, and we see that when the church, the early church, when they got saved, man, they had properties. They're like, it's yours. That doesn't mean you have to sell your properties. You're a steward of it. But there's the attitude of, if you want it, it's yours. I'll do what you want with it. Are you with me? I mean, you could have 10,000 properties. And all you need to do is keep the right priority. It belongs to you, Lord. I'm a steward. This stuff is at your disposal, and that's how it is. I don't believe he has people just always sell everything. And I believe the rich young ruler, when you read the story in the Bible, when the Lord told him, sell all that you have, I don't know that, you know, we don't see, you know, where he told other people, sell all you have, but he did tell people, surrender, and he did tell people when you do it, you'll end up with more than you got rid of. So he wasn't against people having stuff. But that guy, the problem was, and one of the, one of the gospels that shares that story, and the guy left, it said he was trusting in those riches. And you know, when God, a lot of things God asks us in life and deals with us in life, actually, uh, you, you can look at it and realize it deals, it'll, or expose a motive. Are you with me? They'll expose heart motives. I want you to do this. I can't. Why? Heart motives. And it is good to look at our motives and go, Why? Why, exactly, why can't I do that? If, if all I am belongs to you, we sang the song, right? I lay my life down before you, 
then whatever he asks, I obey. But notice here, he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways. When will he teach sinners or transgressors, people who break the law, your ways and sins will be, sinners will be converted. When, when will that happen through him? When will that happen through him? Notice he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and influence me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors. People who experience salvation, the joy of salvation, the influence of eternal life, become soul winners. They become soul winners. He said, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Why? Because there's divine life influencing you. I mean, we know this naturally, at least in my experience, you know. You go to a good restaurant, and you're like, oh, this tastes so good. Everybody knows right now you're imagining. I can see people licking their lips. Some are drooling. They're like, oh, yeah, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, they're picturing this food. And one part of your conversion experience at the restaurant the joy of that food is this. Man, this is so good. Who can I tell? Isn't it? Who can I tell? Oh, I'm going to tell them. And then if somebody's like, well, their food's okay, you're going to argue. <laughs> and your argument is based on experience. I mean, I've even done this at Costco. This is pretty low. Hey, you know, they got these samples down here. <laughs> I mean, that's a, a new level, right? Sitting in a restaurant. And you, oh, right now, yeah, on aisle 37 or whatever, you know. Wow, this is real good. That sounds horrible. But it's the truth. I've done it before and gone, wow, that's really good. Why would you give a sample? Because when, when you get a sample, it does something for you. But you give a sample, it does something for somebody else. And when you get good food, and I mean, you really partake, you're going to go, uh, I've been waiting to talk to you. Now, some of you are acting totally innocent, like you've never eaten anywhere, or you just haven't eaten any good food. No, we've all done it. Oh, that's the best this, that's the best that. And, and here's the thing, this is true in the kingdom of God. The greatest way to reach people is individual bringing people, not just putting banners up. I, I had the privilege to work with uh, Billy Graham when he did one of his last crusades in California. And I went in with the leaders there, and they made some statements. I was like, really? They said, we put billboards up everywhere. They said, you know, on the freeways. We give, you know, a million bumper stickers out, like literally or more. 
He said, uh, this guy said, we'll have on the sides of buses, you know, about the crusade. He said, we won't get 1% of the people that are there at the meeting to come through a billboard, through the TV, through any of that. And they spend the majority of their money doing that on purpose. And I was like, what? He didn't ask questions, or I would have gone like this, and it was good for me to just leave my hand down. Then he explained why. He said, we found this only confirms what others are telling them. He said, that's what it's used for. Because then after somebody tells somebody and witnesses to somebody and goes, hey, will you come with me? He said the majority of the people that come, 99% are all by people who believe in what's happening, believe in the Lord, know the Lord, and share it with other people. He said, as a matter of fact, that's why these people will end up in different churches because they will have been brought by somebody else. He said, and we are aware of that fact. This just affirms to that person that somebody's inviting to this thing at the Rose Bowl that as they are invited by their friend, they see a flyer or they see, you know, a billboard or they see a commercial and it just reaffirms. But in all reality, a lot of people realize it's word of mouth. But there is something to be said about how word of mouth works. And he said here, then I will teach transgressors your ways. In all my years now of walking with the Lord, I only know one person who purposely witnessed for the lost and for the Lord and to tell people that was not saved. I only know one. And he was a policeman and he had grown up in the church And just had never given his life to the Lord because he never felt he was good enough. And uh, he would be, he was actually a highway patrolman on the 5 freeway or in that corridor from Southern California to the middle part of California. And he said, I would be, you know, I'm a first responder. I'd be one of the first ones there on an accident scene. And if I saw the person was going to die, he said, I would start preaching to them and tell them how to receive Jesus knowing that that life is going to be over pretty quick for them. They may not survive this. That's the only one I know. Now, there's probably others, but really the majority of people who tell other people are people who have experienced that burrito from that restaurant. You get what I'm saying? They've tasted and seen And so he said, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. He said, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God, the God of my salvation. And you could say it like this as a believer. And we went into a little more detail about this. We're all clean from the bloodshed. In other words, our actions that were wrong. Christ offered a sacrifice for you. I know you talk like this and some people say, man, you talk like you can sin all you want to. I don't believe Christians really want to. I believe Christians, like the Bible said, are dead to sin. 
I believe they can be tempted, but, but why not give encouragement to somebody if that's what God's given them? And he said, deliver me from the guilt to bloodshed or my wrongdoing. Oh God, the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Man, when I experience salvation, he said, then I'll want to tell. Then I'll want to sing about your goodness. In other words, it will change my tone and what I talk about. I am convinced that the Lord wants us to experience what we have as believers. Turn to Ephesians. Actually, instead of that, turn to 1 Timothy 4. And we're going to go through a few verses real quick right now. 1 Timothy 4 and this may be a familiar verse to you, but there's a lot in here. Notice this. First Timothy 4, verse 8. For bodily exercise profits a little, or literally means for a short period of time. We all know that. No amens? Wouldn't it be cool if you just work out and it lasts forever? Just like, that's it. Woo! It can't ever go down from here. You know. But have you ever noticed you don't do something with your body that seems to reorganize itself? I weigh the same, it's just reorganized. And, and so he said, bodily exercise profits a little or literally temporarily. But godliness is profitable for all things. Notice this phrase. Having promise. There, there's a promise that God has given to us as believers. Having promise of the life that now is. And that which is to come. Notice the phrase, now is, and that which is to come. We should not think that the only good thing is when we're out of here. Now, I understand those phrases that we have, earth is the only hell that Christians will ever experience, and earth is the only hell lost people or the only heaven lost people will experience. You get what I'm saying? Meaning a lost person, this is as good as it gets. For a saved person, this is as bad as it ever gets. But while we're here, he said there is promise about the life that will be, and there's a promise about how life should be here. In other words, here, believers are supposed to experience eternal life. Not when they get to heaven only. So that is a huge statement. Turn to Ephesians 2. Promise of the life that is now and to come. Not just the promise of the life to come. I mean for me and for all of us, that probably would be enough. Just promise 
about the life that's going to come. We're going to go to heaven. Heaven is going to be phenomenal. But that is not the promise. That is not what he promised. It's part of what he promised, but it's not all he promised. So 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, Ephesians, the second chapter. And this is so vital because we need to realize that we have something already if we're saved. There's a big difference between trying to get something and already having it. I mean, if I already know I've got oil in the ground, it's just a matter of how do I get it out? You with me? Or if, if there's a well, it's just an issue of how do I get it out? If I don't have it and I'm trying to get it, I'm, I'm looking everywhere else. But if I know I've already got it, it makes a big difference. I said it makes a big, big difference. So Ephesians, the second chapter, writing to this church here. And this church uh, had experienced some phenomenal things from the Lord. Ephesians, the second chapter, the first verse. And it says, and you he made alive. This is not a physical making alive. This is a spiritual alive thing. Not a physical thing. Not a mental thing. I would get confused after I got saved because I would think, why do I have some negative thoughts? I thought I was saved. And if you don't know better, the enemy would like to take advantage of you. If you were a Christian, you'd never think like that. The problem is he injected some of those thoughts. And, and, and I remember, you know, going, I know I've got salvation, but I was struggling. I knew I had eternal life. And I remember this guy told this story, and it helped me so much. He said, you know, when you get married, he said, uh, if one day you wake up and you say uh, to your wife, you wake her up and you're like, I don't feel like I once did. I think we need to get married again. He said, that's not going to go over real good. Some of you aren't sure about that. That won't go over real good. And he said, some of you are like saying, Lord, I don't feel like I once did. What's wrong? Maybe I should do this again. And it's not an issue of a feeling. Spiritual things are beyond feelings. So he said, but aren't you teaching and experience? There's a difference between experiencing something spiritually and having a feeling. And I remember when he said that and then hearing that my mind is not my spirit. And that Jesus even had negative thoughts that came to him in his mind. But the Bible said he never sinned. When he was tempted, negative thoughts came to him. So a negative thought is not sin. But you just don't want to leave him there either. You want, you want to deal with him. And so I realized after looking at different things, man, I've got something I live in a hostile environment, so like one man said, 
you know, you can't stop all birds from flying over your head or pooping on you. So I'd throw that out there. That happened to me at the beach one time. Years ago, it's gone. But you can't. But he said, but you can stop them from landing and building a nest. You can't stop them from flying over you, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. You get what I mean? Meaning, you can't stop every thought that comes in, but you can stop it from taking up residency. Why is that important? Because your mind is not your spirit. Your mind is not your spirit. You can renew your mind, but your spirit is made brand new. You have a reservoir of eternal life in your spirit that will never run dry. Jesus told that woman that he ran into one day, he said, give me a drink of water. And she said, you know, and there, this discussion came. Then he turned the tables and said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me. I would give you eternal life, living water. He called living water this eternal life. He said it would be in you and constantly springing up unto everlasting life. Notice he didn't say it would come out of your head. He said it would come out of your innermost being. Christians should know that there is a part of them way down on the inside that when they get saved, eternal life is there. Why is that so important? Because you may not see it, you may not feel it every second, but there are things you can do to tap into it. Do you know just thinking about the Lord will help you to tap in to that eternal life? Just if you will get your mind stayed on the Lord throughout the day, the Bible said God said His peace for those who would keep their mind on Him would begin to guard your heart and begin to influence your mind. And He would keep you in divine peace. Divine peace is a part of eternal life. I mean, when we get to heaven, heaven will not be foreign to a Christian or shouldn't be. It just will be greater degrees of what we know here. It'll all be familiar. Just like somebody who gets saved, they have the Spirit of God, but they can be filled with power. It's not something you don't already know. Nor is it one you do not know. It's just more of Him. Amen? That means, so be it. So Ephesians 2 says, And you he made alive. Where? In your mind? No, but your mind can be influenced. In your body? No. And what does it mean to make alive? It literally means with the life of God. Who were dead in trespasses and sins? Because the wages of sin are death. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy, because he's always mad at you, no, because of his great love, because of his great love for us, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, that great love toward us is Jesus. 
even when we were dead in trespasses. In other words, we broke His law. Spiritually, we didn't have the life of God in us. We need to realize we are way different than the rest of the world. Believers are way different. And He gives you eternal life. It is the very life of God that He puts in you. And there are ways to live in that and experience it. And so He said, even when you were dead in trespasses, He made you alive together with Christ. By a gift, you have been saved. Notice this. He said, you who have given your lives to the Lord, the minute you gave your life to the Lord, He made you alive together with Christ. What does that mean? He made you alive together with Him. This might be the strongest assertion in this area. 1 John 5. I mean, what are we really saying? Some of our famous scriptures that we quote would be good to maybe dig into a little bit. You know, there are certain ones that you'll hear probably through your Christian existence. In other words, once you give your life to the Lord, you'll hear things like the thief does not come but to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I've come that you might have life. What does that mean? Like a ticket to go to heaven? No, it is divine life today. But what does it mean to have life? It's a word we don't use in our talk. You know, in our regular day-to-day life. Jesus, if he was preaching and it explained it to us, he would say this, I have come that you might have God's life and his quality of life in you. That's the word zoe in the Greek. That you might, when you receive Jesus, he said, then you get Zoe in you. The kind and quality of life that exists in God. No wonder people have joy when they experience salvation. No wonder it can be bliss to have your mind on the Lord. Because really what you're doing is you're connecting your mind and heart to your spirit and allowing for that to come forth. It's there. In other words, I can't think on negative things all day long, think on negative stuff, and think on sinful things all day long and expect eternal life that's already there to rise up out of me. Have you ever noticed when you start reading your Bible, you start experiencing God? Or He deals with you? Or we start worshiping God? Why? Why do we start experiencing Him? There's different things that happen. Why, when we worry, does it cause our heart to be troubled? Because our mind is on the problem instead of the one who will supply. And when we get our minds on those things, you were not created that way. You know, I haven't said this in a long time, but but there is a, there's an interesting thought. You know, there's, 
you know, I said, you know, a long time ago, we could determine what movies we would watch in the earth. And what would be acceptable is go, will this be playing in heaven on movie night? Somebody said, there's going to be movie night? No, but you get the idea. Or maybe there is, and I don't know. But if you're like, you know, oh, they, this would not get played. But haven't you watched certain things and they affected the eternal life? I, I was a hardcore, at least in my own estimation, a scary movie, horror movie person. And this was back in the VHS times, you know. Somebody's like, you get a lot of money for those. Um, they're, they're that old. But, you know, I, I would rent VHS and then be kind and rewind. Some of the people don't know the traumas and the things we had to deal with. Or you get charged like a dollar. And, uh, you know, for not rewinding. And, um, and, and there were local, like, video stores back then, not Blockbuster only. That was later, and they would have a horror section. And I mean, I watched them and watched them and watched them. Then I gave my life to the Lord. And I remember after I gave my life to the Lord, I thought, well, what do you do? You, you're not, I'm not going to parties. I'm not hanging out with all these people. So this girl I had been dating, where she had now given her life to the Lord. So we're like, let's go to a movie. So I remember we went to a movie. I had gotten saved and filled with the Spirit. I was on fire, and we went and horror movie cool. You know, it only been a few weeks. Went there. The movie came on. I still remember sitting there looking at her and she was just staring at the screen. Turn and look and she's just staring at the screen. And the more the movie's going on, the more I'm getting yuck on the inside because I'm suppressing this eternal life by pondering down this wrong path. People killing each other, people doing all this stuff, and it was a horror movie. And, and, and I didn't realize then at one point she turned and looked at me, and we were like, ugh. Because it was the same thing true with her. What was happening, that eternal life was trying to dominate us, and, and we started suppressing it by thinking wrong. And how were we thinking wrong? That was feeding our wrong thinking. And so I remember her going, we need to get out of here. And I remember driving up the street, and it was a long drive we had to go. And I'm like, I think we should pray. And she's like, me too. And we just caught our minds on the Lord. Then we were discussing. I'm like, how come you weren't looking at me? She said, I was. Every time I looked at you, you were just staring at the screen. <laughs> well, she was doing exactly what I was doing at opposite times. She's looking at me thinking, what's he doing? And I'm like, then I turn and she's staring. What's she doing? But we were both doing the same thing. But here's, here's the issue. If you just think on wrong things, it suppresses what's really in you. You're a new creation. You're actually the temple of the living God, the Bible said, and that God lives in you as a believer. And so some ways to get this eternal life out is, is to think appropriately. And we live in a negative world. Now, I'm not suggesting to build some commune city. It's actually unscriptural, and none of them will ever work. They'll always all collapse. Always. 
because the Bible said we have no continuing city here and we're to be light and salt. Amen? We don't need to leave the earth. We have the potential and the ability to affect change today in the earth. Right where we're at. Period. Because why? What's greater, the devil or the divine life that's in you? The divine life that's in you. And so, he who has the Son. Notice this, 1 John 5, 12. And we're going to close up here. It says, he who has the Son has Zoe. Has eternal life. Has the very life that God has in himself. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Philemon 6 tells us that when we learn about these things, acknowledge these things, it makes this life effective. What every believer wants and what God wants for every believer is for them to experience salvation all through their life. And you know, that's just one of the most boring things. No, it's not boring at all. I mean, why is it that when people have out-of-body experiences and have a vision of the Lord, you often hear them say, I don't want to go back. And the Lord says, you have to go back. No wonder Paul said, I'm hard-pressed between two. I, I want to leave because he had already experienced heaven. But he said, I need to stay to help others. Well, what he had experienced there, he was like, this is phenomenal. But here's the thing. It's not just for there. It's not just for there. If you would just get bold, and when you go to pray and say, thank you, Lord, your eternal life is in me. Nobody told me to do this when I first got saved. But I would sit in my bed at night and I was so thankful I had eternal life. I didn't realize I was actually drawing eternal life out of myself. I would say, thank you, Lord, I'm born again. Thank you, Lord, I gave my life to you. Thank you, I have your eternal life in me. And the more I would go, I remember thinking, man, this eternal life is starting to affect me. It's like heaven's right here. And, and it really was. And, and I learned that through my early years, God dealt with me. Be careful what you think about. Be careful about what you listen to. For this very reason, he wanted this eternal life to influence me. And he didn't want it just to influence me. He wanted it to influence others around. One thing that God does not want is weak believers in the sense where they are not experiencing him. He's not condemning anybody. He just wants his believers, his children, to experience eternal life. Because eternal life is not to be contained right here where you, you know, if I got near you, I would not know it. No, eternal life actually can radiate out of people and influence others around them. 
We know it in degrees because we can worship God here. We've had people come, they start crying. We, I, we were, I was talking to somebody this last week. They came and they said, I don't want to go there. Because they got all convicted. They could sense God. Well, no, we want them to come. But if they want to stay in sin, they're not going to like it. But that happened with Jesus. He would just go places, start to talk. People got agitated. Others said, we like that. You've got that life if you're saved. Period. You commune with God. You keep your mind on Him. You do these different things. Go back, listen to last week. It will create an atmosphere around you. A real one that others will know. Period. Period. And guess who else will know it? You. You. 